Now, down in verse 11, it says he gave gifts to men, and he lists the five gifts that he gives, and we've talked about this before. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. They've been given to equip the saints, and as I was meditating on this this morning, we've talked about equip a number, we spent a number of Sundays on what equip means. But what was going off in me to share with you this morning is when I was away and meditating on this message, this is what God has put in my heart to do for you is to equip us. We need to be equipped for what's to come. Because what's about to come is not easy and it's not good. It's nothing to be afraid of. You've heard us talk about it before. You've heard other people come through here and talk about it. All you have to do is look at the news and remember back five years, ten years, and you can see that this nation is not where it was five years ago or ten years ago. We've all grown up. Well, I won't stop there because we haven't all grown up. That's what we're talking about. We've all grown up in a nation that basically, one of the speakers this week put it this way. It was Lafayette Scales, actually, Friday night. He said, we've, 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 we've had the home field advantage. Because most of us have grown up in this country in a, in a nation that's basically been a God-fearing nation. It's been a nation that may not all be Christians, but basically we've, from our foundation, we've followed the Judeo tradition, traditions, at least concepts of what's right and wrong, or at least worldview, that there is a God and He's the creator of all things. And that, 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 that He sent His Son to die for us. People may not believe in Him, but they believe God sent Him. We're living in a, in a nation now where a generation is growing up. I've, shared, I've, I've, I've mentioned Jesus to, 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 to some young people, and they've never heard of him. I mean, they've heard the name, but they didn't know who he was. That's astounding. Yeah. That in, in, in America, in 2010, there are people that have not heard that he is the Savior. They've heard who he, they hear his name because people use his name in vain. But they did not know that he came to save them from their sins. It's not that they didn't know it and believe. They never heard it. But then you realize that the parents that raised them didn't teach them. This nation is now in the grip, I believe, of the spirit of the Antichrist. Forming things, orchestrating things to bring about his plan. To prepare for a one world government. To prepare for the need for one world leader. And we're seeing the beginning of the end time events that are, in, that are laid out for us being set in place. And the concern is that as a church we sit idly by and watch it happen. And suddenly, it's like I remember years ago I was in, I was in college, uh, quite a few years ago, and I, was, I, was, uh, I had a car. My, my grandfather gave me a car and it was wonderful. And, and it, was, it had snowed that day because I went to school in upstate New York where it snowed every day in the wintertime. And so it was not a great event, but I was just out foolishly just driving around a snowstorm. And I'm parked at an intersection. Car in front of me, red light, sitting there minding my own business. And the light changed. And coming down the hill from my left was a car. And he didn't see that the light had changed. And he goes to slam. When he saw it, he slammed on his brakes. There was a little snow. He started to slide. And there was a flatbed truck coming just starting to come across in the same direction I was coming, in the other side. And as I'm watching this, I realized that this car is going to clip the back end of this flatbed truck. And I'm sitting there saying, I'm watching an accident unfold in front of me. And I'm just sitting, this is what's going through your mind. And that truck, he caught the end of the truck, and they start spinning. And I realize now that car is now coming towards me. I'm no longer going to be a spectator. 
I'm about to be a participant. And I'm sitting there minding my own business. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm obeying the law. I'm just sitting there and suddenly this accident that I had no responsibility for that I started out observing and saying, my goodness, isn't this interesting? And, you know, I, you know not that I was, you know, obviously nobody's going to be seriously hurt, but it was going to be some damage. And suddenly I realized I'm about to be a participant. And sure enough, that car came around and took off the left side of my car while I'm sitting there. My concern is that's where the church is. We're sitting still at an intersection, watching the events of the world unfold around us, watching a mighty collision between God and Satan, really. And we're sitting there observing it, having no idea that we're about to become participants in something. You cannot be in this world at this time and not have things affect you. Some of you are already experiencing pressure in your life. I shared last week, I had a number of people come to me at different times, and I, some of them were within, within my own family and even in my own life, just where pressure upon pressure upon pressure piled up. We need to be equipped for what we're facing. And I believe the reason God dealt with me at the end of last year was to spend time in this year about, being, about growing up, about coming together as the body of Christ, understanding who we are as the body of Christ and coming together and learning to form a relationship with one another where we don't just share church together, but we literally are part of the same body together is because we're going to need each other. Yeah. We're going to need each other like you never know. We, could, we never knew you were going to need each other. And so the walls have to come down, the barriers have to come down, and there are things that we have in planning, and we'll talk to you about a little later on, not this morning, but a little later on, next month or so, about some things we have prepared so that you can help implement these things in our law, in this church. And we'll talk about that later. But we need to have that understanding. That's why we spend so much time talking about being part of the body of Christ. But now we're talking about maturing and growing up, because in, the generation of my parents was a generation that had to grow up quickly. Because when they were in their late teens, early 20s, they found themselves facing a a world war, literally on two fronts. And I remember, you know, my mother, I look back at pictures of her and how young she was and how, how really they were all wet behind the ears and suddenly they're thrust into a world war where husbands are gone for two or three years you see troops coming back that have been overseas 16 months, 18 months, and, and that's hard and terrible. But some of these parent, uh, couples were separated for four and five years. Hadn't heard of where they were because they didn't have the things we have today to keep in communication with. This nation has been through hard times before, very hard times if you look back in history. The church has been through hard times before, and we're about to go through hard times again. It doesn't take a whole lot of discerning to realize that. And God is preparing us if we'll just listen to Him and do what He says to do. And part of growing up is accepting this is where things are. I may not like it. I didn't like having my left side of my car taken off. But at that point, I had no control over that. What I did have control over was what I did afterwards. God's still in control. And as long as we do what God says to do and allow Him to prepare us, we will not... See, we're here for a reason. Our goal is not to survive. God has not left the church here just to survive. 
We are here to be a voice. We are here to be a, the voice of the gospel. We are here to proclaim the gospel in difficult times. Therefore, God has to strengthen us. He has to enable us. He has to preserve us. He has to keep us here because he needs a voice. The question is, will we be part of that or not? Verse 11, it says he gave gifts to men and he lists the five gifts that he gives. And we've talked about this before. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. They've been given to equip the saints. And as I was meditating on this this morning, we've talked about equip a number. We spent a number of Sundays on what equip means. But what was going off in me to share with you this morning is when I was away and meditating on this message, this is what God has put in my heart to do for you is to equip us. We need to be equipped for what's to come. Because what's about to come is not easy and it's not good. It's nothing to be afraid of. You've heard us talk about it before. You've heard other people come through here and talk about it. All you have to do is look at the news and remember back five years, ten years, and you can see that this nation is not where it was five years ago or ten years ago. We've all grown up. Well, I won't stop there because we haven't all grown up. That's what we're talking about. We've all grown up in a nation that basically, one of the speakers this week put it this way. It was Lafayette Scales, actually, Friday night. He said, we, we, we've, we've, we've had the home field advantage because most of us have grown up in this country in a, in a nation that's basically been a God-fearing nation. It's been a nation that may not all be Christians, but basically we've... From our foundation, we followed the Judeo tradition, traditions, at least concepts of what's right and wrong, or at least worldview that there is a God and He's the Creator of all things, and that that that, that He sent His Son to die for us. People may not believe in Him, but they believe He God sent Him. We're living in a in a nation now where a generation is growing up. I've shared, I've I've, I've mentioned Jesus to, to 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 some young people, and they've never heard of Him. I mean, they've heard the name but they didn't know who he was. That's astounding. Yeah. In, in, in America, in 2010, there are people that have not heard that he is the Savior. They've heard who he, they hear his name because people use his name in vain. But they did not know that he came to save them from their sins. It's not that they didn't know it and believe. They never heard it. But then you realize that the parents that raised them didn't teach them. This nation is now in the grip I believe, of the spirit of the Antichrist, forming things, orchestrating things to bring about his plan, to prepare for a one-world government, to prepare for the need for one-world leader. And we're seeing the beginning of the end-time events that are, in, that are laid out for us being set in place. And the concern is that as a church, we sit idly by and watch it happen. And suddenly, so I remember years ago, I was in, I was in college, uh, quite a few years ago, and I was I was uh, I had a car. My my grandfather gave me a car, and it was wonderful. And and it was it snowed that day because I went to school in upstate New York where it snowed every day in the winter time. And so it was not a great event. But I was just out foolishly just driving around the snowstorm, and I'm parked at an intersection, car in front of me, red light, sitting there minding my own business, and the light changed, and coming down the hill from my left was a car. And he didn't see that the light had changed. And he goes to slam. When he saw it, he slammed on his brakes. It was a little snow. He started to slide. And there was a flatbed truck just starting to come across in the same direction I was coming, in the other side. And as I'm watching this, I realized that this car is going to clip the back end of this 
flatbed truck. And I'm sitting there saying, I'm watching an accident unfold in front of me. And I'm just sitting, so what's going through your mind? And that truck, he caught the end of the truck, and they started spinning. And I realize now that car is now coming towards me. I'm no longer going to be a spectator. I'm about to be a participant. And I'm sitting there minding my own business. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm obeying the law. I'm just sitting there and suddenly this accident that I had no responsibility for that I started out observing and saying, my goodness, isn't this interesting? And, you know, I, you know not that I was, you know, obviously nobody's going to be seriously hurt, but it was going to be some damage. And suddenly I realized I'm about to be a participant. And sure enough, that car came around and took off the left side of my car while I'm sitting there. My concern is that's where the church is. We're sitting still at an intersection, watching the events of the world unfold around us, watching a mighty collision between God and Satan, really. And we're sitting there observing it, having no idea that we're about to become participants in something. You cannot be in this world at this time and not have things affect you. Some of you are already experiencing pressure in your life. As shared last week, I had a number of people come to me at different times, and I, some of them were within, within my own family and even in my own life, just where pressure upon pressure upon pressure piled up. We need to be equipped for what we're facing. And I believe the reason God dealt with me at the end of last year was to spend time in this year about, being, about growing up, about coming together as the body of Christ, understanding who we are as the body of Christ and coming together and learning to form a relationship with one another where we don't just share church together, but we literally are part of the same body together is because we're going to need each other. Yeah. We're going to need each other like you never know. We, could, we never knew you were going to need each other. And so the walls have to come down, the barriers have to come down, and there are things that we have in planning, and we'll talk to you about a little later on, not this morning, but a little later on, next month or so, about some things we have prepared so that you can help implement these things in our law, in this church. And we'll talk about that later. But we need to have that understanding. That's why we spend so much time talking about being part of the body of Christ. But now we're talking about maturing and growing up, because in, the generation of my parents was a generation that had to grow up quickly. Because when they were in their late teens, early 20s, they found themselves facing a, a world war, literally on two fronts. And I remember, you know, my mother, I look back at pictures of her and how young she was and how, how really she, they were all wet behind the ears and suddenly they're thrust into a world war where husbands are gone for two or three years. You see troops coming back that have been overseas 16 months, 18 months, and, and that's hard and terrible. But some of these parent, uh, couples were separated for four and five years. Hadn't heard of where they were because they didn't have the things we have today to keep in communication with. This nation has been through hard times before, very hard times if you look back in history. The church has been through hard times before, and we're about to go through hard times again. It doesn't take a whole lot of discerning to realize that. And God is preparing us if we'll just listen to Him and do what He says to do. And part of growing up is accepting this is where things are. I may not like it. I didn't like having my left side of my car taken off. But at that point, I had no control over that. What I did have control over was what I did afterwards. God's still in control. 
And as long as we do what God says to do and allow Him to prepare us, we will not... See, we're here for a reason. Our goal is not to survive. God has not left the church here just to survive. We are here to be a voice. We are here to be the voice of the gospel. We are here to proclaim the gospel in difficult times. Therefore, God has to strengthen us. He has to enable us. He has to preserve us. He has to keep us here because He needs a voice. The question is, will we be part of that or not? But God will preserve His church. God will protect His church. But individually, there will be pressure on you and me to fall away. The Bible says in the last days, many will fall away. In fact, it says that the rapture will not come until that great falling away has taken place. I know there's some translations that translate a little differently, but the bulk of them by far talk about a falling away. And, and, and Paul talks to, Peter, to, uh, to uh, uh, Timothy about a great falling away that's going to take place. People, Christians will be deceived. Christians will be deceived. How can Christians be deceived? Well, we're going to learn about that today again. So one of the things we see about growing up is here in in chapter 4 of Ephesians. We saw verse 12. One of my responsibilities as your pastor is to equip you and me. Down to verse 14. So that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's how people, one of the ways people are going to fall away. They're going to be deceived by doctrine. They're going to be deceived by teaching. They're going to be deceived by seeing signs and wonders and saying, well, that has to be God. No, it doesn't. The angel, the Bible says, can appear, uh, Satan can appear as an angel of light. We have to learn to be discerning. Part of maturing and growing up is learning to discern. But we saw last week, which is what I want to pick up on this, is one of the signs Paul's saying of, 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 of Im- I don't like the word immaturity, what I want to say is a need to grow up. Because we all need to grow up in some areas. Is that we're easily blown around by situations. Now go with me to James chapter 1. This is just reviewing. Verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or tribulations. The Bible tells us tribulations are going to come. Jesus said, I think it's in the end of John 16 or in the end of John 14, when he says, he says, In this world, you will have tribulation. If you are standing up for Christ, there will be tribulation. The enemy does not like you. It's nothing personal. He doesn't like the word that's in you because the word that's in you, when it's spoken by you, can deliver people from his power. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials or tribulations, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces patience. So how you handle the trial determines whether that trial will make you or break you. 
Learn to see every trial, every difficulty in your life. I'm not talking about that God sent it to you, but God will use it. There were some times when I, we were raising our children where, where we had to say, I remember one time we took them into a, to a movie, let a nice innocent title. We're sitting there with our kids and all of a sudden things came on the screen. It, my goodness, I mean, I'm sitting in shock. Their eyes are going, Ooh. and it's like, get them up and out of there. Now, what do I do? I made a mistake. I didn't know that. I decided to use it as an opportunity to teach them something. Even when I made mistakes, I would ask them to forgive me and I would use it as an opportunity to to teach them. Every situation in life is an opportunity to teach them how to handle it. Even if you didn't do it right, they need to know how to handle it when they don't do it right. And God does that with us. When Many of the trials, not all of them, but many of them that come across our path I did it to myself somehow, either with my big mouth or by not listening to God's word or by doing something I, you know, somewhere near didn't feel right, but I did it anyway and boom, and now I'm in a mess. But even in that, God will use that to train you if you will allow him, if you will allow him. The trying or the testing of your faith produces what? Patience, endurance, that word actually means steadfastness, which means you are not easily moved. And that's what we're talking about. Ephesians 4 says that one of the signs that I need to grow is when circumstances of life move me off of what God said. We saw last week that the Apostle Paul who wrote those words, had grown through experiences to the point that no matter what they tried to do to him, they could not stop him from doing what God called him to do. Circumstances came up. People disappointed him. His very first missionary journey, one of his staff revolts and leaves him on the shore. John Mark, can't handle this. God didn't call me. God, God called me back home now <laughs> and just fled and left him. There were times Paul talks about only one of them stayed with me in one situation because of what he went through. Nothing moved him. Now, he didn't start out like that. We don't have time to go back into that. But he grew into that. And that's what we're talking about, growing. To the point that things did not move him. Jesus had to grow. Hebrews, I think it's 5, 7, said he, he, he learned through the things, King James says, suffered. It really means went through. Jesus learned through his experience. I thought he was the son of God, yes, but he didn't get a free ride because like, he wanted to be like you and I. He had to grow up and learn and mature and discover who he was and learn to walk that out. I didn't sin, but he had to grow in his understanding of who he was just like you and I have to grow in our understanding of who we are. But he learned obedience, it says, through the things that he went through. We're going to look at an example of that today. Now, it goes on in James and explains to us how we grow in this. Because it's going through the trial doesn't strengthen you. Just going through tribulation, just surviving it, 
doesn't strengthen you. It can a little bit because you've just gotten stubborn and haven't quit. That's the beginning, is to not quit. But just surviving it won't do it. Paul teaches us, I mean, James teaches us here the secret. It's when you apply your faith against or in the middle of the trial that your faith becomes strong. I have in my, in my basement a Nordic track and a set of weights. And up until a year or so ago, I was very faithful to use those. Because about 15 years ago, I realized while I was practicing law, I was in a job where I was a lot of pressure and I spent all day leaning over a desk and that was a recipe for heart trouble. So I began to, 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 to exercise. I wanted to develop not, you know, Charles Atlas, but at least some muscle tone so that, you know, my posture was straighter and, 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 and everything didn't just sort of hang on me and, you know, move around as I walked. But I discovered something about them. Having weights didn't do any good. Owning, and some of you have some very expensive clothes hangers in your basement called, uh, called treadmills. They make great things to drape things over, but they're very expensive for just a clothesline. Mm. All they're doing is some other job, but they're not doing what you paid them to do because it only works if you apply yourself against the weights. And so I've started using them again, by the way. Um, And I find it works. It's amazing. As long as they sit there, they don't do any good. But when I start exerting my strength against the opposition, I get stronger. The trying of your faith in the middle of that ordeal produces steadfastness. And he goes on and says, and let that steadfastness have its perfect work. See, it will work something in you so that you may be complete. That means mature, lacking nothing. Hear it again. It's tied, that steadfastness is tied with maturing so that you're not easily moved by what's going on around you. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. But it only comes about as you decide in the middle of the pressure that you're going through to take your faith and apply it against that situation. And notice what he goes on to say. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally or abundantly without reproach. It will be given to him. But look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a boat that's out on the sea. It's like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now, I talked about this last week. That sounds exactly like Ephesians 4 that says being tossed around by every wind of doctrine. And that's what went off in me last week when I was med- a week before when I was meditating on this. When something's out on the narrow garrets of Bay, and I've been out there, I shared with you last week, I've been out there in a boat that lost its power. You're out there, you're just tooling along, you know, you're going to head over to Prudence Island, you're going on, and suddenly, you're out of gas or the engine stops. And now you're, where you had control of where you were going, now you're at the mercy of the tide, of the current, and of the winds. And if they're all going in the same direction, you're going with them, and you're not controlling, nor is God controlling where you're going. 
And if we don't grow in maturity in this area, what will happen is you'll hear a message. God will speak to you, say, this is what I want you to do. And you will find the minute you start trying to do that, setting out to do it, opposition will come against you. And the purpose of that opposition is to distract you, to pull you off course, to get you off course, to get you go chasing after something else, to get you to quit, to get you to feel overwhelmed, to do anything else but what God's told you to do. That's what the goal of it is. And it's only as we grow in maturity and we don't let those things move us. And I'm, to, I'm preaching to me. That we don't let those things move us. That we begin to grow and mature. So he said, look what he says there. He says, it's like the wave driven by the sea. It was blown around, no control. Let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord being double-minded. Double-minded literally means to be of two minds about something. And here's what it is. You read God's Word. God's Word says, says in, in, in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and your needs will be taken care of. Come out of church. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. God can be trusted. He's my Father. He saved me. He's made the heavens and the earth. I can trust God. Monday morning you get up. You go to your mailbox and there's a bill you weren't expecting to get. Oh my goodness, I couldn't barely make it last week. How can I do it this week? What happened to my God supplies all my needs? What happened to it? It was there Sunday. But where is it Monday. So this is not a once-a-week book. That's why you can't just pick it up once a week. See, what we've talked about before this is the way we mature, the first way, is by consuming the Word. It's the food for your soul and your spirit. But James says a little later on in verse 22 that you've got to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. We've talked about to be a hearer and not do the Word it's like eating food and then spitting it out. You got a taste of it and you got excited about it, but it doesn't do you any good until you swallow it. It becomes part of you. God's Word has to become part of you. Just reading it does not do it. You have to chew on it. You have to meditate on it. And then you have to apply it against the circumstances of your life. And that's how that Word begins to produce maturity in you and strengthen you that you can't produce in yourself. And that's the process of growth. Taking God's Word, chewing on it, meditating on it, speaking it out, speaking it over yourself. That's why I told you when we prayed earlier today for jobs, when you get up tomorrow, declare you have a job. Declare, why can you say Because we've done what God's Word says to do. Now it's His responsibility to open the door. Your responsibility is to continue to declare it by the confession of your mouth. But I don't have one. Then don't say that. You do, because God said if we agree with you, He'll provide. Over and over again, when God came to someone with a promise, He spoke in the past tense. I'm way off my outline this morning. He said to Abraham in, in Genesis 17, I have made you a father of many nations. At that time, Abraham was about 85 years old. He was post-child production years. And his wife 
also was, and she was barren to boot. And God's talking about a father of a multitude of nations, and he doesn't have one, but God doesn't say, I'm going to make you. God says literally, as for me, my side of the equation, I have made you the father of many nations. In Romans 4, it says, Abraham believed that and then became. He believed in order to become. That's the order with God. You've got to believe His promise in order to become what His promise says. Because when God makes the promise, He's already created what He said. It's when you believe Him that you can receive what He's already provided. I have made you. In Joshua, Joshua's standing outside the city of Jericho, a walled city where the walls are so wide they used to hold chariot races along the top of the wall, six chariots wide. And an angel appears to Joshua. And God speaks through the angel and says, Look, see. And Joshua looks out there. Yeah? He says, see, I have given you put this city into your hands. Well, with these eyes, you can't see that because that hasn't happened with these eyes yet. But God's saying, I've already done it. Now I want you to see what I've already done. So when the circumstances come into your life, it's what you see that's so important. You have to get God's eyesight. You've got to find God's Word, and then you've got to agree with God's Word, no matter what it looks like to your five senses. And that's what we've been talking about. Because when you go back and forth, you're double-minded, and God's Word says, that man can receive nothing from the Lord. It doesn't say God's not giving it. It's not God's mad saying, ah, you're double-minded, I'm going to pull it back. You can't receive when you're double-minded. Being unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he will receive anything from God. Double-mindedness. So what we're talking about is the way we grow is to not just read God's Word, but consume God's Word and then apply God's Word in our life. Let's go to Matthew 7. This is where we ended last week. We're going to take our time going through this because I believe God showed me that this is my assignment right now. We've been teaching faith on Wednesday nights. I'm moving it to Wednesday, Sunday morning. I'm the pastor. I can do that. <laughs> Especially when I believe that's what the Spirit of God is telling me to do. What the Lord showed me last week is there are many of you going through very difficult trials, some of you the worst you've ever been in your life. And many of you have the knowledge of what to do, but you're not equipped. Equipped doesn't mean you don't know something. Equipped often means, because the word equipped sometimes means to mend things that are broken. Some of you have been disappointed because you've applied your faith in the past and it didn't work. And you've got disillusioned and discouraged that hurt is a brokenness that needs to be mended. Some of you have tried that and it didn't work. 
And so you've learned to live in that place in between that Satan loves to have you, where you come and hear God's word and get encouraged, but yet you don't have enough confidence to step out and apply God's word in your life. So your hope is getting pulled up, but you really inside don't have any confidence that it's going to work for you. You'll hear other people's tests. I'm just speaking by the word, Spirit of God now. This was not in my thinking or my notes at all, that, that this is the Spirit of God speaking to you and to me. And the word equipped implies a mending, a fixing of something that's been there before and has been torn apart or has been wounded. Some of you have been wounded by experiences with God's word, either in applying it in your own life or someone dear to you that you've stood in faith for, you believe, and you've trusted God, and they died anyway. Or they didn't get better or whatever the situation is. Some of you have made had personal disappointments. Many of you, perhaps all of us have. I have. Somewhere years ago, it got instilled in me that no matter what happens, God's will st- word is still the truth. I say that to myself all the time. I'll get up in the morning. I'll be in the shower and say, God, your word is the truth. I don't care what I see today or feel today or think today. That's your, it's your word is the truth. And I say that to myself all the time, over and over again. Your word is the truth. Your word is the truth. Your word is the truth. If everything fails, your word's still the truth. I need to find out what adjustment I got to make, but your words, I will not question whether your word is the truth. And so this word equipping means to mend, and there's some of you that have done this before, and so even when I start talking about this, the temptation is to tune it out. Say, well, I've done that. It doesn't work for me. The Word of God works. God is no respecter of persons. One of the most powerful words in the, in the Gospels is the word whosoever. Over and over again, Jesus would say, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Whosoever. Whosoever means it's up to you. It doesn't mean God has picked this group over here and said these people are a bunch of turkeys. They'll never get it. It's not like God has a select group that he's chosen to give special faith to. Jesus said, whosoever. And over and over again, Jesus would say to people, it was your faith. It was your, think about that. It's your faith that made you well. What that means is, is it was up to you. It was available to everybody. We've talked on Wednesday night about the end of Matthew 14 where a bunch of people came together and they, they, they called Jesus to them because they, they were sick. They brought the sick to him. And what they all believed is if they just touched the hem of his garment, they'd all be made well. But what the last verse says is, and those that touched it. So they chose out of that group which ones would be made well by which ones acted on what they believed. It was up to them. We say, I've done that. Well, somewhere, I, I don't know the answer. Just like other some situations in my life. I don't have the answer to what I start out, but it doesn't change my confidence in God's Word. Otherwise, what do we have? If I have no confidence in God's Word, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know there's a heaven? How do I know anything if I don't have confidence in God's Word? Because it's either all true or I can't trust any of it. Because I can't pick and choose what's right. I'm not smart enough and nobody else is. So I either swallow the word whole or I don't rely on it at all. You can't, it's like Jesus being, well, you know, he's the great prophet. No, he's not. He was a great man, but he's not the son of God. No, he's not. That's not possible. Because Jesus said, I am the son of God. Yeah. 
So if he's not the son of God, either he's a fool, in which case he's not a great prophet, or he's a liar, in which case he's not a great prophet. He does not give you the option of deciding that he's something other than the son of God. He's either the fool or he's the, who he says he is. There's no room in between. He doesn't give you that option. Well, the same is true of God's word. It doesn't give you that option. Did you find Matthew 7 yet? All right. So if we have to take a little time to go over this, it's, I believe it's my assignment right now, is to equip all of us. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is what this is all about. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? In other words, they were doing great signs, so people would say, this must be God. But notice what Jesus says, depart from me. I, I never knew you. I don't have a relationship with you. And notice the end of that verse. You who practice lawlessness. What lawlessness means is, I'm in charge. And I'm using God and His Word to help me do what I want to do. We talked last week about the fact that, that we use God's Word for comfort. And it is to comfort us. That's a good thing to turn to it for. We use God's Word for wisdom and direction. And it, we ought to use God's Word for wisdom and direction. We use God's Word when we need healing, when we need finances, when we need answers. We ought to use God's Word for that. And that's all true. <clears throat> but if that's all you ever use God's Word for, those things... You are using God's Word as a resource, like the Encyclopedia Britannica, or the Internet, or whatever else you, know, you, you turn to. It's, it's a better, but the purpose of God's Word is to be the authority in my life. If God's Word says I'm to love my enemies, I have no option about that. But I, don't feel, I can't. If God's Word says do it, I can do it, whether I think I can or not. I may have to do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I can do it. The same is true also when God's word makes a promise to you and you're not sure whether it's true or not. When God says, I will supply all your needs, but I don't see my needs being supplied. Now, which is the authority in your life? Your experience or God's word? If you're not sure, then you're going back and forth. You're double-minded. When God's, word, when God's Word says that, that, that uh, if, if you seek Him first, as God's Word says, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. Don't be anxious about the things you're going to need. That's going to become an important verse to us. But what you are to do is seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first and His righteousness, and then all the things that you need will be added unto you. Is that the authority in my life? Or am I running around being anxious about how my needs are going to be met and then whatever's left over of me, God gets. I'm going to really mess now. Malachi 3 says, bring all of the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Prove me and test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. Notice with God... We obey Him first. We obey the Word first because it takes faith to do that when you don't see it in your hand. I've been in that position when there was, not a, there was more month than money. 
And I had the decision to make. Do I obey his word on tithing? Or do I take things into my own hands and handle it my own way? And I made the... And I, you may look at me and think we were... But I've been broke. Not through God's fault, through my fault. Several times. I've been there where I had nothing to feed my family. And when anything came in, I tithed. Even when it meant I would not have enough left over to apparently meet my needs. But the decision was this. God, see, that gave me the right then to stand and dig my heels in and say, God, I obeyed your word. You have to. You are obligated to come through and take care of my family's needs. He says, come and prove me. He's not a, he wants you to stick your finger in it only when you've obeyed him. And this is why obedience to the Word and the Word having the authority in our lives is going to become the difference in this day and age we live in and are entering into of whether we succeed for Him or we fail. Now look at what he goes on to say here. He tells this simple story. Therefore, whoever... No, therefore means this is a continuation of the same thought. Whoever hears these sayings of mine... And does them I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains descended and the floods came. Sound like where some of us have been this year. And the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What's the rock? Well, Jesus is the rock. Yeah, I know, but that's not what Jesus says it is here. The word's the rock. That's not what Jesus says it is here. The rock is when I do what he said in a storm. Because we're talking about a storm here where the winds came and the waves came and blew a beat against the house. But it did not fall because the foundation on which it was established was a heart of obedience. God's word is first. I will do what God says. He becomes the umbrella to protect you. But there's another house that was built. Same contractor. Same lumber yard. Same design. Everything the same. And the same storm came. And it fell. Why? Because it was built on sand. And Jesus said, that's the man that hears, hears the word. We're all talking to people that hear the word. But does not. We're going to go one step further now. Go to Genesis chapter 3. See, if you're a teacher in a school and you're trying to teach a principal, you then have to come up with homework that you send people home with so they can apply the principles you've been teaching them. I don't have to do that. Life is your homework. Every one of you has got some situation in your life where you can begin to apply what you're hearing. Genesis chapter 3, God's created the heavens and the earth. He's created His crowning creation, man. And the only thing God, the instructions that God gave him is He put him in the garden and He said, of the tree 
you can eat any, of all these trees, enjoy them, but of the one tree, you cannot eat of it. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they have God's word. First of all, just so you go back, we don't take time this morning to go back and look at it, but God's not, his, you know he's only got one negative rule? He says, of all the other trees and things, he commanded them, go eat them. He commanded them to go eat it. Some translations say enjoy it. Go enjoy it, have at it. Enjoy yourself. Eat. See, God's commanded us to eat. Now, some of us love that to obey that commandment. The only negative commandment is there's one tree you cannot eat of it. It's the knowledge of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will die. All right, that's God's word. This is so powerful. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This is the first entrance of Satan into God's creation. And what is the first words out of his mouth? The Lord God said, and and he said to the woman, has God indeed said? The first words out of Satan's mouth to this woman was to challenge the word of God she'd heard. He didn't care about her. He didn't care about the creation. He has to immediately come in and challenge God's word. Has God said? The moment... That's her moment of truth. He has no authority to speak in that place unless the one God put in authority grants it. If you know anything about the, 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 um, uh, the, the courts of the old, of kings of the old days, if you came into the court, you did not have the right to speak unless the king acknowledged you. Remember the story of Esther? That's why she came in such fear, because it was not her appointed time to come. And that's why she had to pray and fast and ask the nation of Israel to pray, because she was going to come in and say something to him and ask him something, but it wasn't her time. If he did not grant her permission, no room for error. He had no authority to speak in that place unless the person, which was Adam and then Eve, that God had given authority, granted it. So when she opens her mouth and answers his question, she has now authorized him to speak into her life. Who are you? You are a redeemed child of the living God. You were born under Satan's rule because he's the God of this earth. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4. he's the God of this earth. But when you were born again, Colossians 1.13 says you were transferred out of the domain of darkness over into the kingdom of his beloved son. You're not under his authority. That's why he has to get you 
to give him authority in your life. He can't just come up and sneak up on you and steal from you. He has to get your permission to authorize him to work in your life. And he's good at doing it because all he's got to do is get us to start talking. Oh, things are so hard for me. You just authorized him. I don't know if I'm going to make it. You just authorized him. He's authorized to move in. Well, I don't know why all these things are happening to me. You're authorizing him. I'm never going to make it. You're authorizing him. You're authorizing him. You have the authority in your life if you're born again because you're not in his kingdom. But he can get entrance into your life by letting, having, talking you into authorizing. And that's what happened here. Has God said? Notice, immediately confronts God's word to them. And because she listens to him, notice what she tries to do. She tries to defend God. That's not your, that was not in her job description. Nowhere in chapter 1 or chapter 2 in the description that God, the instructions God gave was to defend him or his word. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, which, of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, and you, nor touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said, Now he's getting bolder. And he now directly contradicts God. Once he got doubt in, see, all he needed was a little bit of wiggle room to begin to her question, because when she has to answer him, She's now beginning to question a little bit. Not much. But now he's going to direct, there's enough of an opening to come in and say, he, he's basically saying, God lied to you. And remember how Jesus described Satan? He is the father of lies. And there is no truth. No truth. No truth in him. He'll use truth. We'll see that next week when he talks. To, he, see, he does the same thing with Jesus. We'll look at the, we don't have time to look at that today. The serpent said in verse 4, You will not surely die. He's calling God a liar. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he challenges God's word. He just, excuse me, he tries to plant a little bit of doubt about God's Word. Because doubt is the beginning to get off of this leg and beginning to look over, well, just maybe this isn't true. Just maybe. And the just maybe was an opening enough for him to come in and say, He lied to you. You will not surely die. And now he goes on, and that with that opening, he now attacks God's character in her heart. God's holding something back from you. He's trying to separate her from him. By doubting now, not just his word, but his motives in his heart. That's what he's after in you. Now look what she does. Now that she's opened the door and doubting his word, 
Look at the very next thing that happens to her. She's no longer standing, trusting in simply what God says. Now she's left to something else. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw, when the woman saw, when the woman saw, what do you see with? Your eyes, your natural senses. When the woman saw that the food, the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one's wise, she took of its fruit and ate it and gave it also to her husband. She's now shifted from someone that started out completely in obedience and trust and God said that settles it to now she's off under her own understanding, trusting in what she sees and what her senses tell us. Tells her. And that's the battle you're in and we're all in. We're in a battle between what our senses tell us and the circumstances tell us and what God's word tells us. And here was the very, I want you to, what I want you to see here is this is the issue in your life. Because what's the first thing Satan comes? He knows if he can get them to do this, he's got it. And he knows if he can get you to do the same thing, he's got entrance to, to move into your life and do things. Not steal you out of the kingdom of God, but begin to distract you from what God has for you to do. Has God said? Just the question. Can I trust it? Some will come to you and says, you know, you say, well, you're, you're awful happy. And look, look, I know the circumstances. Well, because I'm standing on God's word. And somebody will challenge you about that. Well, you, it's just it's the Bible. You can't trust the Bible. You've got to deal, you've got to answer that thought. You can't just let that thought around. Yeah, let's start. Let's go to, go to, to um, Luke chapter 4. We can do it. In Luke chapter 3, we, the story of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River where he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4 begins, And Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, be tempt, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Now, this is the Word of God in flesh. Being tempted by, for 40 days by the devil. In those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when he ended, he became hungry. And the devil says to him, look at the arrogance of this. Look at his boldness. He's not shy. If you are the Son of God, he knows he has to hit him at this point because he's now been endued with that power from on high. And now he's, Jesus was going to be tested. Notice the Spirit of God led him he didn't wander off and make a mistake and ended up in the middle of this test. The Spirit of the Lord, the first thing He does is lead Him into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil. And the devil comes and the first thing he does is to challenge who he is. To try to plant some doubt in Jesus' mind. He says, if you are the Son of God. See, as a lawyer, I learned a long time ago that that's why the rules of evidence in a courtroom, because the way you frame a question can determine how that answer gets interpreted to a jury. Well, you don't question, you know. Have you stopped beating your wife? 
How do you answer that? Yes? No, that means you were. Well, no, that means I still am. So how you frame a question, very important, determines the answer, what answer is available, and how it gets interpreted. And he's very crafty at how he asks questions. If you are the Son of God, don't have casual conversations with him. His motive is not just to, you know, fellowship with you. He is trying, Jesus said, he comes only to steal, kill, or destroy. So if all you got to settle is, do I want to be stolen from, killed, or destroyed? If not, don't talk to him. We know it's the only reason he talks to us. Look what Jesus said. If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into... He's appealing to his hunger. Turn these stones into bread. Notice what Jesus answers him with. He doesn't say, no, I don't need to. He doesn't debate him. He doesn't discuss it. This is Jesus now. With all he knows and how strong he is. What does Jesus say? It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, it is written. God's word says, that's all I know and that's all I care about. Later on in John's gospel, he says, I only do, only do what I see my father doing and I only say what I hear my father saying. That sounds terribly restrictive, doesn't it? They've taken away his personality and his freedom. No, he's the freest man that ever walked on the face of the earth because nothing stopped him. They tried to stone him to death. He walked through the crowd. They tried to trick him and deceive him. The lawyers and the scholars and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they, could, they were befuddled by everything he said and did. They would come up to him and try with some riddle and try to fool him. And the next thing you know, they're standing there embarrassed. Nothing stopped him. And Satan himself came and you never got to know that Satan summoned up, summoned up everything he had. Because if he, he knew who he was. He knew why he came. Because the next temptation, he brings him up to the top of the pinnacle of the temple and says, you know, all this is mine to give you. And it was. Because otherwise it wouldn't be a temptation. He was the God of this world. Satan gave it to him. This is all mine to give you. I know you came to win this back. I'll give it to you. You don't need to go to the cross. Just bow your knee to me. Just for a moment. Nobody's looking. Just for a moment. Just, you know, boop, like that. It's all over with. And I'll give it to you. It's easy. Notice how he answers this. It is written. He also takes him up and, and tries to tempt him and, and, and by, by quoting scripture to him. He says, you know, he says, throw it off, throw yourself off here, you know, and, and because it's written, it's written. Satan's now quoting scripture. It's written, Psalm 91, the angels will pick you up unless you dash your foot against a stone. He's quoting scripture to Jesus. But his motive is not to bless him, is it? It's to deceive him and to fool him. What I want you to see this morning is the battle that you and I live in, and this is where we are to grow in, is the battle between what our senses and circumstances are telling us and what God's Word says. Now, when you drive your car, you listen to your senses. But when it comes to anything of God or the things of God that God's Word addresses, you have a choice to make. Do I walk by what my senses tell me, by what other people tell me, by what things, by my own reasoning, or do I walk by what God's Word says? I know God's Word, but now it's an opportunity to do what God's Word says. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter. It makes sense to who? To you or me or to God? 
God didn't ask Adam and Eve to see if it made sense to them. That's the knowledge of good and evil. That's why he told them not to eat of the tree because he didn't design us on our own to handle the knowledge of good and evil. He designed us, if we obey him, he understands the difference and he can handle the difference. We've got to stop here. We'll pick up on this next week.